0: This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello, and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror movies from the classic the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. I am your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So, what is on the examination table for this episode? Well, I'm going to try something new and talk about old, M. Night Shyamalan's most recent film that was just released in theaters not too long ago and just dropped Uh, very recently for Home Viewing. M. Night has a couple of films on my list of possible episodes. The Village has two central characters with disability. Uh, Unbreakable and Glass have Elijah Price or Mr. Glass, and all the films in that cinematic universe, which includes Split, address superhero abilities in the same way that X-Men does, by connecting it to a disability experience. And then you have The Visit, which is kind of like a children's horror story on the impacts of aging. So, needless to say, uh, he touches on disability and disability themes quite often. But the sirens sounded quite loudly as the credits rolled for old because it goes to some very different places. Now, if you saw the trailer, you might be asking yourself, This is about a beach where people start to age rapidly. Have you totally lost the plot here? Well, dear listener and friend, if you have a history with M. Night's films, you know one thing to be true. What you see in the trailers isn't necessarily what you get. And here is where I insert a spoiler warning. Now, I'm doing this especially because of M. Night's reputation as the director that does the twists but also because this is a film that seemed to be in and out of theaters fairly quickly. And since it's only now available digitally, uh, if this is a film that you're interested in and didn't get a chance to check out in theaters, I highly suggest hitting pause here and giving it a watch because I'll be chatting about those reveals. All right, all of that said, let's get into old. No kids allowed on the beach? What? That's not true! Why? Oh no! Oh no! We never leave each other. Nothing separates us. Are we there yet? You said five minutes. Technically, it's been more than five minutes. Let's just all start slowing down. Wow. Do you believe I found this online? Well, I guess it's not that secret a beach. Whoa! Who would leave this? From the hotel! They're so rusted! What's happening? I found stuff from the hotel in the sand. I don't know. What happened to her? The body has decomposed. How quickly can that happen? Seven years. But she just died. Wait. Where are the kids? Trent! Kara! Come here! Hey, have you seen my children? Mom? I'm I'm right here. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? What's happening to us? My daughter just turned six two weeks ago. Mom! Whatever's happening to us is happening very fast. You have wrinkles. There's something wrong with this beach. What's happening? Mom! 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 I'm scared! We have to get off this beach. Of blacking out, going this way. If she makes it to the ledge, she might have a chance. Why is she stopping? Why is she stopping? Can I wake up? Wake up! They have to know what this place does. I don't know. You're lying. Look, what is that? A message. We never leave each other. Nothing separates us. We're connected to something bigger. Oh no. We're here for a reason. All right, on to that plot synopsis. Married couple Guy and Prisca travel to a tropical resort with their young children Maddox and Trent as a final family vacation before they divorce. On the advice of the resource manager, the family visits a secluded beach, also occupied by three additional parties. Rapper mid sized Sedan and a female companion, Surgeon Charles, his wife Crystal, their young daughter Kara, and Charles' mother Agnes. And then Jaron and Patricia, a close-knit husband and wife. Tragedy strikes the group's vacation When the drowned body of Missai Sedan's companion is discovered, which is followed by Agnes suddenly dying, strange events soon occur, including the three children becoming teenagers. The group realizes that the beach is rapidly aging them, with an entire year of growth passing, approximately every 30 minutes. They also discover that at least one member of each family has an underlying medical condition, and that trying to leave will result in them blacking out and waking back up on the beach. Further tragedy occurs when a bond between the maturing Kara and Trent leads to Kara rapidly giving birth, only for the baby to quickly die from the beach's effects. Amid the groups struggling to escape the beach, Trent and Maddox discover the notebook of a previous traveler, along with indications of them being watched. The attempts to leave grow tenser when Charles worsening schizophrenia causes him to kill mid-sized Sedan. Jaron drowns and Cara falls to her death as they look for a way off, while Patricia and Crystal die from their respective conditions of epilepsy and hypocalcemia, becoming exasperated. Charles eventually attacks Guy at night in a schizophrenic episode, but Prisca slashes him with a rusted knife, instigating a fatal infection. As the night winds down, an elderly guy and Priska make amends before dying moments apart from each other. With only now the adult, uh, Maddox and Trent, remaining by the next morning, Trent revisits a secret message given to him by the manager's nephew, which he deduces is connected to an underwater coral passage. Suspecting that the passage will allow him and Maddox to not lose consciousness, While leaving the beach, he and his sister start swimming through the coral. After they fail to emerge from the water, a resort employee monitoring them reports that the entire group has died. It is revealed that the resort is a front for a research team conducting clinical trials of new medical drugs, with guests being used as unwitting test subjects. Since the beach naturally accelerates, The lives of the guests, the researchers, have been able to complete the drug's lifetime trials within a day. The researchers move forward with luring a new group to the beach, but are interrupted by the arrival of Trent and Maddox, who survived the underwater swim. Using the notebook as evidence of several guests going missing, the siblings are able to bring the police to the resort. Once the researchers are arrested, Trent and Maddox head home to live with their aunt, uncertain of their future. Now to get into the disability elements and themes of it all, we have to start with how these folks find themselves at the resort and subsequently the beach. So let's start with how they find their way to the resort. We really only get this information from Priska and Guy's family, but Priska mentions that she followed a link that was on the bottom of a pharmacy receipt the emphasis on this being a receipt from a pharmacy being significant because it tells us the way that the company behind the clinical trials were identifying participants. There's no way for us to know if the link to the resort's website was only showing up on the receipts of folks that would qualify for specific trials based on stored info the pharmacy would have, plus uh, what their purchases detail but it would seem likely there could also be something to the fact that while we don't get the details of how all the other families learned about the resort unless I missed it, the other two families contain medical professionals. Maybe their associated hospital practices have some relationship with the pharma company or something like that. A guy mentions that he has heard of the pharma company via his work when he sees them advertised on a brochure in their room. But getting to that resort is only step one. I immediately made the connection to our three families or groups via chronic condition disability, which I will dive into more in a second once they are all loaded into the van. And I really liked how this was established because we don't get an abundance of unnecessary details about specific conditions. We start with the reveal of Prisca's illness or tumor when she and Guy are getting settled into their room and they engage in my favorite storytelling device, the exposition dump argument. But as I said, we don't get her full medical history, how long she's had this tumor, a current treatment plan, nothing like that. But the mention of the tumor and her almost reluctance to talk about it would indicate that she's dealing with A difficult diagnosis, and more than likely keeping details out of the conversation. The following morning at breakfast is where we get introduced to the other soon to be beach dwellers and additionally their underlying health issues. We meet Patricia and Jaren when Patricia is having a seizure and being attended to by Jaren, who happens to be a nurse. Charles, Crystal, Agnes, and Kara are ordering breakfast, and Charles seems at least uh, in this moment a little agitated and lost in thought, and I absolutely love how we're introduced to Crystal. She's painted in broad strokes to come off as a high-maintenance trophy wife to Charles, which somehow allows us Uh, to dismiss her claims of being calcium deficient as ridiculous. It's a great way to play on audience expectations so that we become invested in Crystal's character as the film progresses and we feel a particular punch when we realize her condition was certainly not understated. The reason I wanted to spend a bit of time going through the establishing moments for these characters is because they highlight the ways that society views disability. It's something to be ashamed of and hidden and dealt with alone, as we see with Charles and Prisca a bit as well. It's an often horrifying burden, as we see with Patricia. And the flip side to that coin, it is nothing, something to be ignored, diminished, or dismissed. Okay, I think we've got this set of characters established, so how about we actually get ourselves to the beach? Our group arrives, and we suddenly realize things are amiss. Mid-sized Sedan and the corpse of a woman greet them. Now, Ms. Sedan explains that he wasn't responsible for the death of the woman. They had met at the resort and formed a connection over their disabilities, He has a bleeding disorder and the woman had multiple sclerosis and they had taken this trip to the beach together. They were alone. She had gone into the water to swim and died. Essentially the exact same thing that will happen to Jaren. But as soon as this mystery is introduced, Charles's mom, Agnes, dies along with her dog. Now this is a sign or signal that the powers of the beach are now in effect and we begin to see the impacts. Prisca's tumor grows rapidly, and Charles, with the help of Sharon, is able to extract it fairly easily due to its size. I think the only difficulty was being the rapid healing and kind of figuring out the way to keep the incision open long enough to get to the tumor is kind of a, a squeaky little moment. But once removed, Prisca's in essentially perfect health. And I think she comments that she feels better than she has in years. So our focus is primarily on the three kids moving forward because the rapid aging process is showcased most prominently through them. Although it is important to note that none of the kids are being studied and none are identified as having a disability or chronic condition. But while we're following their rapid development in the forefront, the adults are still aging and are still, uh, you know, their, their disabilities are still kind of in effect as well in the background. So we honestly only see these come to play when these characters die, with the exception being midsize Sedan, who is killed by Charles, and Sharon, who dies when he is trying to uh, swim off the beach. So let's talk a little bit about these deaths to kind of get us get ourselves kind of focused on disability. So, Priscilla, I think, honestly, of this group, kind of gets the most unceremonial death, unceremonious death. Um, She has a seizure and kind of quickly passes. Now, what makes her death interesting when we get to the end of the film is that she's kind of the clinical trials, hunger game victor. In a way, the researchers claim that her trial, her medication, proved it to be the most effective because it was able to keep her seizures at bay for some time. So they consider that uh, a huge success. So that's something, um, and we'll talk a little bit about kind of the clinical trial aspect of it in a bit. We get Crystal's death, and the people that I know that have seen this film put Crystal's death as a standout moment in the film, often citing the uber-cracky and crunchy body horror of the scene as why, but I don't think it would have half the payoff it does if we started this character's journey in some other way, which I kind of mentioned before. It's a pretty intense scene because the uh, kids, Maddox and Trent, are in a cave and a very contorted crystal with her bones all kind of bent and broken uh comes up on the kids in kind of this monster creature fashion and she ends up dying in a pretty grisly way. Um, I would say probably the most, I think, visually intense death of the film. And like I said, I think one of the things that makes this death particularly profound and pay off in the way that it does is because, you know, you get this moment with her at the beginning when we're meeting this family and she's ordering uh, her breakfast and she's demanding, you know, extra calcium uh, in her smoothie, uh, wanting to make sure that her food is vitamin D and calcium rich because she's deficient. And we kind of dismiss it. We kind of laugh it off. You know, she's uh, an influencer. And so, you know, it's not really spelled out in that moment. You know, is this something that is legit? Is she one of those influencers that's going to sell you those gummy vitamins? Because it's supposedly supposed to help with hair growth. Something like that. It's not really spelled out for us. And... So I love the ambiguity to that character. And, you know, while she's on the beach and going through kind of this horrific experience, it's it gives us an opportunity to kind of really get to know her in some, I think, interesting ways. She sees her daughter give birth and she sees her grandchild die. After the baby dies... She sees her daughter Kara die while she's trying to make uh, an escape and climb off of the beach. These are really life-changing and life-altering events that happen very quickly while everything else is going on. And we get an interesting perspective with this happening through the lens of Crystal and it makes her death, her very, very gross death, really more impactful for all of that. And I know I haven't really talked about really Kara's or Agnes's death because to be honest, they're not really all that important of characters, unfortunately, You would think that particularly Kara would be because she's one of the kids and we see her age and she has that relationship with uh, Trent and has a child, but we don't really get to know anything about her. Our focus is really on Maddox and Trent. So she's kind of an underdeveloped character. The same with Agnes. Agnes is really our first death and she's an older woman. So, you know, she's kind of the first uh, lamb to the slaughter, I guess. Um, It's kind of unfortunate because I think there could be some interesting things that you do with these characters. But you don't really, uh, unfortunately, get much time much substantial time with them. So I now want to switch over and talk about Charles because this is where I have some issues with the film. So Charles, we come to learn, is schizophrenic. Now we only learn this at the very end of the film because The diagnosis or the label of schizophrenia is never once uttered in the beginning portions of the film whatsoever. Crystal, I believe, makes a reference when the kind of abnormal behavior of Charles begins to ramp up about how, you know, he's like that and we just have to deal with it however i want to talk about how the portrayal of mental illness via this character is not great because charles becomes violent very quickly upon getting to the beach and you know As I mentioned when I was talking about how we're introduced to the character, he just has kind of this angsty, mad, angry look about him almost when they are ordering breakfast. So you're really setting a weird tone with this character. Portraying Charles as... The one individual on the island that is violent really plays upon the stigma of mental illness and particularly of illnesses like schizophrenia where there is this assumption that individuals with that diagnosis are violent when that is not the case at all. It's just a really harmful uh, kind of path to go down and it just really kind of plays on a lot of the stereotypes that just aren't great. He singles out mid-sized sedan when they are first on the beach. And that has some racist implications and obviously not good. So I'm, I'm just not a fan of the the avenues that this portrayal goes down. Then we get to the end where the researchers, you know, finally put the label of schizophrenia uh, on Charles's illness and make the statement that, uh, you know, an individual with a mental illness should not have been a part of this group that they need to separate you know, individuals with mental illness from, you know, individuals with other underlying conditions on one hand. Yes, but clinical trials work, not how this film portrays it whatsoever, which I'm not even really going to get into because this is obviously a fantasy sci-fi spin on things. So, I understand realism does not apply here, but you're not going to have individuals with a wide array of conditions, usually part of a clinical trial. There are very specific eligibility criteria that someone must check before they can get into a clinical trial. And, you know, again, clinical trials have willing participants, um, you know, and obviously this isn't accounting for, uh, you know, some of the historical uh, examples where scientific experimentation and the like was inflicted on marginalized communities. But how we understand clinical trials operating today, yes, yes. You have to be a willing participant, and there are very strict criteria that you must uh, kind of adhere to. So that's kind of that main point, but the way that they're saying it isn't really kind of reflective of a more realistic idea of how clinical trials work, but I think it's kind of in a tone of well, these groups shouldn't mix together at all because it's just going to be inherently violent, and that's not the case. So, yeah, it's just a really, really problematic and uh, bummer of of a character at the end. Um, really wish they would have done something a little bit better with that. So, I think we've kind of checked off our disabled characters here. You know, Midsai Sedan, again, is someone that has a disability but is killed by Charles. Now, the thing that's interesting about Midsai Sedan is that he's been on the beach longer than any of the other individuals that arrive together. And yet he doesn't seem to have aged all that much. There is kind of a joke between him and Patricia because they're both black. They make the joke about, you know, uh, aging uh, and looking much younger. So, but I kind of would have been interested to see a little bit more of Miss Sedan and how his disability was kind of being impacted by the beach. So, okay, so that that does get us through with our disabled characters or our characters with underlying or chronic conditions. This leaves us with our main family, uh, Prisca, Guy, Maddox, and Trent. And they, and by they I mean Guy and Prisca, having now reached uh, an older, older age, have kind of succumbed to... Uh, dementia a little bit and Guy has gone blind and Priska has gone deaf and this is kind of a little bit too cheesy of a callback to the argument that they have when they first arrive at the resort where Priska tells Guy that she doesn't feel uh, seen so of course that means Guy must uh, go blind. So, I don't know, it's a little cheesy, but it, it, that's kind of something that m Night does from time to time in his films when kind of exploring family dynamics. So, to be expected. But Guy and Prisca get, dare I say, what I think our society deems an ideal that they don't experience a ton of pain as far as we know. They go, you know, fairly painlessly and quickly due to old age. They're surrounded by their adult children. They've, you know, they're close. They are on a beautiful beach. You know, they're not... Uh, because of the dementia, they aren't kind of weighed down by the uh, kind of dealings of, you know, their actual setting. So it's, I I don't know. It's a little, it's a little much for me, but it's, I think, a really good scene for Maddox and Trent. Because one of the things that we don't explore a lot, I think in horror in general, but uh, especially when we're dealing with children characters is the long-lasting impacts of these experiences. And here are two kids and they're kids that are now physically adults. It's a very twisted and uh, really more tragic version of big in that way. And, you know, they have gone through major life milestones without the maturity and the kind of life experience to help them process and understand what these experiences are. So it's just really, really sad. And it's I think this is why we have a moment with them before they leave the beach of building sandcastles. Because it's a way to remind us, even though we're seeing adults, that these are children. They're still mentally, emotionally children. They've just gone through basically a huge chunk of their life. And it's not experiences that they can get back. They're, they're never going to have those teen years again. They're never going to have their 20s again. The, the young adult stage of life and there's something very very tragic about it and when they at the very end of the film when they are going to their aunts there's a a line by someone that is with them you know about hey how are these kids going to adapt now how are they going to be able to function in this world because they're physically adults but they're not emotionally and mentally adults. they're kids. They're the same kids that showed up at the resort what like a day ago. So it's it's an interesting kind of uh, a thing that is somewhat explored here, but um, I, I'm I like that it's at least hit on a bit and something that isn't just kind of cast away. Uh, stranded on a beach, pun intended there. But I guess the other thing to mention about the kids, like I said, they're, they're not identified as having any underlying uh, conditions and or disabilities, and they're not part of the study per se. But... We don't know what the impacts of this experience are going to be on them physically. You know, when we think about our, I mean, even, and I hate using the word normal, but normal development, when you are at that age where you're going through puberty and you're growing and you have growth spurts and it's painful and These are kids that have gone through this very, very quickly. By, I think, a logical stretch, there's going to be physical impacts to this. And again, because I think this is a, you know, this is a horror sci-fi fantasy spin on things. We're not going down that realism road, but it's, you know, something to think about that, you know, what What are the physical implications for someone that actually survives this? Because it's going to do things to your body to have to go through this huge physical transformation so quickly. I want to wrap things up by very briefly talking a bit about the kind of mystery solved of it all, the reveal that the beach is kind of operated by a pharmaceutical company. The resort is kind of a front for this. And this allows them to get people to participate unwillingly in kind of lifetime uh, clinical trials. And all they have to do is be on the beach and die. Now, I don't want to get into the complicated history of clinical trials and medical testing. Obviously, particularly here in America, there is a lot of horror itself in that. But what I want to focus on here is kind of the implications of pharmaceuticals And medication, medication development today. As someone with a disability, medication is what keeps me alive. I take uh, a couple of pills every day. I have to give myself daily injections. And, you know, I'm certainly, I think, within a majority in that. Many of us have to take medications and do injections or whatever the case may be on a daily basis. Um, What this does is it kind of creates a, a sinister sheen to that whole process and makes taking medication kind of a scary thing. Because we don't ever really talk about what the medications are that the individuals that are part of this clinical trial are receiving. I mean, they're receiving, I think, different drugs. And while it's not specifically laid out, our understanding is that when individuals get to the resort, they're greeted and they're given, you know, this drink that they say, you know, this was, uh, this is your special drink that we created based on your diet specifications. So the assumption is that this is drugged in some way or, you know, when they're ordering breakfast, that somehow medication may be getting in that way because they're not getting any medication on the beach and they can't put it in the food that goes with them to the beach because then anyone could have it. So I just have some complicated feelings about the almost villainizing of the whole process of creating medications and essentially taking the medications makes that whole process untrustworthy. There's, like I said, complicated, painful history with pharmaceutical companies and, and their processes, um, medical experimentation, all of that, and that's not to be ignored or dismissed, but medication is what keeps many of us alive and it's often a good thing. The researchers and people that put their work into this process are not doing it with blood on their hands. They're trying to do it in safe, effective ways. So there's all of these elements to it that I think are a little kind of complicated at the end because they're not only callous in their process of, you know, the individuals that are part of the clinical trials, but, you know, they're basically having these, uh, I mean, I don't even say innocent victims because everyone's kind of innocent here, but, um, you know the family members the people that aren't necessarily part of the trials are just coming to the beach because you know you can't separate these groups that are traveling together so i don't know it's just there's really something about it that didn't i guess sit well with me in its portrayal and it's something that's a little complicated and I'm still kind of piecing out like what what my, I guess, full-fledged thoughts on it are, you know, even months after seeing it for the first time. I think that's really all I have to say about, I guess, kind of the nuts and bolts of the film. I really liked it. Honestly, I know I had some gripes, but I found it really interesting. I really enjoyed seeing it in the theater, because when I walked out, I felt really kind of disoriented. So that it, the film really was effective in that way and kind of messing with kind of my internal perceptions of time. I think this would make a really interesting double feature with The Visit. I absolutely love The Visit. It's right up there as one of my favorite, if not my favorite, in Night film, I think it really doesn't go hard on some of the things that I'm, I'm not really fond of in M. Night films. There's a less saccharine approach to the family relationship in The Visit, and I think a little bit here as well. And, you know, I think you're also looking at themes of aging and how aging is scary. And when you're teaming that with an underlying condition that is going to progress in ways that we may not be aware of or uh, prepared for, it's just some really scary business. So I think that these films both tackling ideas of aging and our complicated relationships with it. I would say that this is probably something on M. Night's mind a bit. So it's interesting to see him explore that a bit. So, yeah, I, that's old. And again, if you like M. Night films, you definitely, I think, will enjoy this. I found it interesting and kind of cool I also read the graphic novel that it is based off of Sandcastles and really enjoyed it as well. So I, yeah, I recommend it if you're looking for something to watch and now you can rent it at home. And with that, I do think that's going to uh, bring us to the end of this episode. Thank you so, so much for, for listening, as always, Bodies of Horror is a proud member of the Anatomy of a Scream Paw Squad. Assuming at this point, if you're here, you are subscribed. But if not, please go subscribe to the Anatomy of a Scream feed, because it's not just Bodies of Horror. There's a ton of really fantastic uh, shows on the feed, and new shows that are being added all the time. So please make sure that you have subscribed. And if you're doing that and you want to rate and uh, review, please do that as well. It helps people not only find Bodies of Horror, but all the amazing shows on Anatomy of a Scream. Now, if you want to reach out to me, I always welcome that. You can shoot me an email at bodiesofwar at gmail.com or you can find me on twitter at bodies of horror pretty simple so all of that said until next time the anatomy of a scream pod squad